Welcome to Field of 12 After Dark, the college football show talking everything going on in the country with this wild sport. I'm Michael Felder from Stadium. Uh, we got a couple of superstars joining me on Field of 12 After Dark. We're going to start with Christian Hackenberg. Listen, you guys know him. Penn State quarterback, a guy that, listen, I'm a believer, former NFL QB. I know what you got going on. You're gonna, We're going to talk Penn State, Purdue. I love getting your analysis. Uh, so we got Christian Hackenberg. And before we get into all of it, we also have to introduce Max Starks, longtime Pittsburgh Steeler. A Florida Gator. It's great to be a Florida Gator until Utah comes to town. But yeah. you can find him on SiriusXM, SEC, ESPNU, NFL Networks, ESPN Radio as an analyst, two-time Super Bowl champ, Max Starks. Uh, let's start with Max. Max, how are you doing? Welcome to the show. Man, I'm happy to be here. It's fun to kick off another year of Field of 12, but of course, in a different uh, capacity, you know, Christian, I got to watch Christian on a lot of the, the After Dark shows last year uh, when I was coming in from games. And you guys always uh, get, gave, put a smile on my face and definitely enjoyed listening to the content. So it's good to finally join the After Dark family, at least uh, at least right now. So it's cool. Christian, the captain of the After Dark. How are you living, Playboy? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to live the dream or some some type of dream that's out there. But yeah, I think uh, I, I think y'all said it best. It's it's exciting to kind of get the whole crew together. I think it's going to be really good for our listeners and our fans uh, getting all kinds of different perspective from every angle of the country. Um, we all have our our specialties and our focus, but um, I think this is really good and I'm excited about tonight. I'm super excited, too. And I'm glad you mentioned getting a little a kind of different perspectives and whatnot, because we got a fully packed show tonight. We're going to talk a little group of five. Um, there's some transition in terms of who's in Conference USA versus who's in the Sun Belt. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the backyard brawl. We're going to talk about Notre Dame and Ohio State, um, which everybody, I kind of, I think everyone kind of agrees is the biggest game of the opening weekend or the official opening weekend because it's week one. Um, but before we do that, as your host, let's toast. Hack, we're starting with you. Yeah, I'm gonna go to uh, I'm gonna go to Pittsburgh with uh, Keaton Slovis putting together one of the most awkward uh, locker room material tapes that I've seen. Kind of looking back, checking with uh, Narduzzi to make sure Daddy says it's okay to say what he's about to say, says it, um, and really resonating with those Yinzers out there. A lot of lot of Pittsburgh in this statement that he made. If y'all haven't seen it, please go check it out. It's pretty funny. Um, and definitely some really good locker room material for West Virginia. So I'm excited that that rivalry is back on center stage. Boom. Cheers. Cheers, Cheers to that. Now, Max, give me something. All right. You know what? You know, I, I'm going to raise a glass to USC. Reason why I say that is because they're about to start potentially three quarterbacks at other schools. <laughs> 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 <This, this laughs> <thing. laughs> You, you mentioned Keith Slovis, JT Daniels, and then also uh, Jackson Dart might be starting for Ole Miss as well. So three cheers to USC. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. That was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep it real. Um, this is our last night uh, without football, right? This is football eve, if you will, for the regular season to really get it, get it kicked off at least for the next like four, what, four or five days. So we're ready to get it kicked off. Um, I don't know if it's happy or it's stress, but I do feel crazy. And it, we're about to get into the weeds and, 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 and make it go. So cheers guys. I'm going I'm to go ahead and drop a little, Ooh, little WT one on you. Okay. Uh, there it is. Uh, 
Let's rock and roll. All right, so let's kick it off here. Uh, Max and Hack, starting with you, Max. I want to start with you. Okay. I'm not asking you to break down the Sun Belt or the Mountain West or the AAC or any of that. I just want you to give me one team from that group of five that you are going to be paying attention to all season long. You, you know, when I look at the group of five, and, and now, mind you, I was a guy that was – I covered Conference USA for six years. Sure. So, we worked for the same company. Yeah, exactly. So it pained me the, the eve of that Marshall FIU game, if I'm not mistaken. It, it said that you know, all these teams were leaving. And, you know, I look at it and I, ha- I have to go – you know, I, I'm really interested to see what Marshall does. Yeah, um, that that that's that was just a team that I've always kind of had, uh, you know, affinity for from my days playing with Byron Leftwich, um, one of my good buddies, Doug Ligurski, another guy. And then yeah. just, kind of, you know, that 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 affiliation with them and, of course, with Doc over the years um, as their head coach. So I'm going to be very interested to see how this Marshall team responds and how they kind of make it through the year. They're, they're a team of interest for me. I, I, they, I got them there. And. Christian, we're going to get to you. I just, the thing with Marshall for yeah. me, losing Grant Wells, that's, that's a blow. That's that huge. one's, that stinks. Like he's, he was so good. And I think Virginia Tech's going to be really happy with him. But uh, Christian, you tell me, what do you got? Who, give me a G5 team you're looking forward to. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think there's, there's, there's a few interesting ones. I'm mm-hmm. going to kind of tailor it to the AAC as a whole and kind of those top three teams in UCF, Houston, and Cincinnati. Obviously, Cincinnati losing Desmond Ritter. But I think that that, if you're talking about a group of five conference, well, hang on, produce not just Desmond Ritter. They lost their so both of their starter, corners. Yes. There's a safety, a lot, two linebackers, a pass rusher. How do they reload? Like if you're if you're right. you, you want to talk Cincinnati, how do you think they can like we talk about Alabama or, or Georgia reloading? How do you think they can reload? No doubt. I, I I just believe in Luke Fickle. I really like his mentality. I like the way he runs his ship. And I think that that team is not going to come out. And I don't think there's going to be a drastic drop off from from last year, even though there is just just the way that the expectation being able to ride the momentum that they had last year into this year. I still think that they're going to be a very solid football team. And when you're talking about a conference like that, that I think is kind of wide open, I think that there's somebody that can cause problems for two of the other teams that I think are more suited to go out and win it in Houston and UCF. Um, So I'm just paying attention to that conference. I think it's going to be interesting. And I think the guy, the team that comes out, handles business and wins that. And if they do it in a, in a, in a pretty spectacular fashion, cause I don't think there's as marquee matchups out of conference as uh, Cincinnati had last year, um, right. at least give themselves a chance to put themselves on the stage and, and be in the conversation. So yeah, here, listen, I'm glad you mentioned as a conference, go ahead. No, go ahead, Max. Come on, get in here. I want to amend mine as well. Cause I do have an AAC team. <laughs> that I want to throw in there. UTSA, a team that had a That's- heck of a year last year. Um, you know, you got a senior quarterback and Frank Harris is coming back. Conference and, USA. Huh? That's they, Conference USA. They're still Conference USA. Okay, I couldn't remember if yes. they switched or not. They're but, still Conference uh, USA. Okay, so they're still CUSA. I want to see how how they do. I love Frank Harris. I, th- I thought this was a team, like last year, you just saw them come on, and they've been, every year, they've kind of been putting out some talent every single year into the NFL and kind of, kind of really making a name for themselves in a city where San Antonio – only knows the Spurs, right? And they, they they rejected an NFL team. They built this NFL stadium there, and they won't <laughs> let the NFL in. 
And UTSA has kind of been in there and kind of been around. And now they kind of have promise. I want to see if they can follow it up and actually kind of bring a little bit more stature to that city, especially when it comes to football. Um, so that's another one that I, I want to see is UTSA. I'm, I'm super excited about UTSA. I love Frank Harris watching it, especially during my time with stadium, watching him grow from year to year to year. Yeah. He's blossomed into a quality quarterback. And I really love that part of his, of what he's been able to do. I, I obviously losing sincere McCormick. That's going to be something that they've got to figure out what they're going to do. Um, but Christian, I'm glad that you mentioned your, your, you got eyes on a league. I got eyes on a division and it's the Sun Belt East. Okay. I'm from North Carolina, App State, and then right below us, we got Coastal. And those two teams, I think, are deadly. I think they can be a real problem. You got Chase Bryce coming back for what? 37 years of football? Van Wilder. (laughs) He won't graduate. (laughs) And then you got Grayson McCall and – you guys tell me if I'm crazy about this. What I've been looking, I've been watching a lot of Coastal more than anything. Um, they got this thing. I, I started calling it the middle bunch, where they have a tight end, they got a, a fullback or another a second running back, and then they have the regular running back and a pistol. And right inside, which from a personnel standpoint, that makes the, the defense play base package, right? Because it's 12 personnel or 21 personnel. But then they spring all those guys out and put them in motion and they run the triple option, but sometimes they just go ahead and throw the ball down the field. Like, I think that that's scary because you don't know what you're going to do. And everybody's not Nicobe Dean out there. So most of these linebackers have no idea what's going on. So I think Coastal is one of the most interesting teams for me. And then App State, they've got, I think, one of the best running back duos in the country in Noel and Cameron Peoples. So that's what I'm focused on. I'm going to go – I'm going a little smaller than you, Christian. I'm going – Yeah. I'm going division. One of those teams is going to win the Sun Belt. I don't know which one, but one of them is going to win the Sun Belt. And by the way, I know this is a, wasn't on the menu for what we we're supposed to talk about, but am I crazy for thinking that App State's going to beat the school that I went to, UNC, this weekend? I don't know, man. I, I was I, so I was very. I was my question mark at UNC was was the quarterback position. I thought Drake May came out and played really well for yes. his first start and what he did. Um, he obviously has some weapons out there at at, at receiver. Um, they they continued to show out, um, but that was a big question mark, and I think he answered some of that. Obviously, um, you know we got to see that against some ACC type competition, but. Uh, that at least shored up my my thought process and my view of North Carolina heading into the season. What do you think about the defense? You know, it's much of the same, much of the same uh, from last year, much of the same from last year. Um, but hey, you know, I mean, Wake Forest went out last year and won in a bunch of shootout fashions. You know what I'm saying? If you if you got guys that can do it, um, and you, you you know the ball rolls your way a few times, I don't think it's sustainable but I believe you can catch lightning in a bottle for first season at least. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, that's, that's all. That's been a question mark. Listen, the fact that you let FAMU score that many points on you, um, (laughs) that's where that's so, so you have FAMU. Hang on, hang on. Not just FAMU, FAMU minus 25 players. Yeah. Yeah. The FAMU 22. (laughs) Don't worry. There'll be, there'll be an ESPN 30 for 30 on that. (laughs) The band band was bigger than the team. Hey, and the, and the band was showing out and had UNC at halftime working out with him. I was like, 
that's just bad. I, I don't know why you do that. But that would be my one question, right? I think when you look at UNC, we've always questioned where's the defense at? Yeah. And when you play a team like App State, who is a ball-possessing run and smash you in the face team, I don't know if there's enough opportunities for UNC to kind of win that shit. I think this is a very tough matchup to come out the gates. Now, you, granted, you already had your week zero game, your warm-up, but to have this team is really your first one in week one, this could make or break UNC season if it doesn't go right, a la Michigan, right? Kind of taking App State for uh, for granted. Yeah, it's it. This is a this is going to be very very interesting. So I'm I'm looking forward to watching this one shake itself out. All right, guys, we got I'm going to get to the rundown now. I we listen. We 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 piled around. We had a good time. Let's get to the rundown. We have to start with um, I guess big picture discussion CFP expansion CFP expansion. Excuse me. Um, obviously, that's why we're called Field of Twelve. Expecting to get to the twelve team playoff. Brett McMurphy quoted saying they could adopt the twelve team playoff for the final two years of the contract. Are we are we in for the expansion? Yes, overdue. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, mean, I think I, I was gonna let Christian <laughs> respond. I was like, I just. I thought, mean, yeah. I mean, as as straightforward as that, I think that's the truth. I I completely agree with you, and you know, I think uh, it, it. I think it's dependent on a unanimous vote with university presidents. If they get that, then they can actually implement it as early as twenty twenty four. So I think I think it's good for the sport. I think it's good for the game. If you're worried about putting too much wear and tear on these players you know, eliminate some of these out-of-conference games. But I th- definitely think that a playoff is going to give more teams an opportunity and you're going to be able to let the cream rise to the top in in, in a do-or-die situation. Max? Listen, I- I'm trying to think of what school would not vote for this. Would it be Alabama? <laughs> because they, I, they, own, they own the top four. Like, it, it makes sense for all of college football, especially now that we're getting to this era where – we're slowly creeping to the super conference era, right? Yes. Where you're going to have just two super conferences. It's going to be pretty much like North South type of deal. It's going to be an much, NFL style. It's going to yeah. be an NFL style. You're going to have the North, the, the AFC, NFC, and then pods outside of it. Yeah. I mean, that, that. so why not get to this sooner rather than later? This is where it's going. And having this expansion now at least gives your group of fives it gives them that hope, right? And especially when you start trying to realign things, now you know there is a guaranteed entry into this as opposed to the, what, less than 30 teams that in the history of the CFP have actually made it <laughs> to an actual playoff game. Um, and it, I think it reinvigorates uh, just the fun and nostalgia of watching college football. And we'll see how you get to those bowl games. I think it'll really reinvigorate the bowl games on how you break that down for playoffs and if the universities are going to keep home games or not. And if teams are, are, if sponsors are now going to sponsor those home team sites when they become playoff sites. So that's where you can start to see additional revenue for the university. So I'm really excited to yep. see it. And I'm just hoping vote unanimous. Let's, let's get on with it. I, I'm overdue for that, for that, for that 12 man team. I'm, I'm very curious to see what happens. I listen. Not a, I, I'm really good with four. I, I actually like two, but we'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and you're gonna I, love 12 when it comes Mike. Yeah. no I'm gonna, listen, I'm gonna do my job no matter what i'm listen yeah. i do my i'm gonna do my job no matter what but the reality of it is for me is i really like the idea uh, the big thing for me is less about how many teams are involved at the end and how many teams in the middle are involved and that's the big part for me i think i think about october and november that's where you make your hay 
And that's the part where, because remember, we've seen Mississippi State, we've seen Ole Miss be ranked in that top one, top two, top three. And then they start to fall apart and crumble. And that's the part where I'm just curious to see what this looks like going forward. Um, Iowa, a year ago, they're another team that we just were like, okay, I guess they're, yeah, okay, let's do it. <laughs> you, you don't like nine to three football? <laughs> I mean, listen, man, I went through, I was, I've been watching a lot of Iowa and whoo, buddy. I don't know. I don't know what their plan is, but they didn't do it well. Or if they were doing it well, it was a bad plan. So let's, okay, let's get to this. So we got a couple quick notes here. Um, can Houston be this year's Cincinnati in terms of making it to the playoff? Let's. I'm going to go rapid fire. So we're going to go rapid fire. We're going to start with, with Christian. We're going to go to Max. You guys give me quick answers on just these quick questions. Can Houston be this year's Cincinnati? Yes. Yes, I believe so. Okay. Is Jake Hayner a deep Heisman dark horse? Fresno State quarterback. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he's a deep Heisman dark horse. I don't think he has enough Heisman moments, but I think he has the ability to light light up the stat sheet this year. Yeah, I believe he could be like a Bailey Zappy type, right? He's a sneaky guy that's going to give you a lot of stats, but like like Christian said, he's not going to have enough moments to shine in prime time. They got they got USC week one. That's it. But <laughs> and it's a USC team that I feel is overrated right now. Ooh, look at what. Hang yeah, on, time hey, out. Yeah, talk okay. that talk. Talk that That's talk. One. Talk That's that one. talk. That's one. That's one. <laughs> no, because when you look at preseason rank, first of all, I hate preseason ranking, so let's just get that sure. out there. But a team that I literally watched play in the USC-UCLA game, I called that game, and I didn't know what I was watching halfway through it, and I actually wanted to leave the stadium as a broadcaster because they were getting railroaded. So – you tell me that now because you get Lincoln Riley and Caleb Williams and a whole host of transfers, they're going to be good week one right out the gates and they deserve to be a top 15 team? Absolutely not. You got to earn your way. And I don't feel like they've earned their way. I felt like they got that be- by de facto because of Lincoln Riley being the head coach. Christian rebuttal. Yeah, I, I'm a let the pads talk type of guy as well. I, okay, I think we're all on the same page. Yeah, I think the preseason yeah. rankings are the preseason rankings. They're going to do what they want to do. USC has the opportunity to prove one way or the other. But at the end of the day, man, let's let the pads talk. Let's roll the ball out there and let the whistle blow and kick it off. I'm not going to throw up my guy under the bus, but Bryce said Bryce Petty did say that he thought they would go undefeated this year. Who? What, what, who's going yeah. undefeated? <laughs> I mean, right? Bryce is going to stay undefeated? What? I've spoken like a real Big 12 guy, you know, Lincoln <laughs> Riley riding his, riding his coattail Absolutely. over there. They're going to have a problem when they see Utah. That's all I got to say. Utah going to put them paws on them. Yeah, listen, Cam Rising ha- ha- has, has a lot of reasons. He has something to say about that. <laughs> we're, listen, we're going to talk about Utah at the end of the show. Let's, yeah. So let's go through. We got another one. UCF, 9-4 and four, uh, last year. They beat Florida in the bowl game. Sorry, Max. And they added a ton through the portal. What do we think of uh, uh, UCF? I think that's why I wanted to watch the AAC, right? Like, I think yeah. there's there's two teams that have a chance to to really prove themselves, and UCF being one of them. So, I, I mean, I, I'm excited to watch watch the hype and see if it plays out. Listen, as a boy that was born and raised in Orlando, Florida, 
and, and watching the UCF you can't finish days to the Dante Culpepper days and obviously the unofficial national champion when they go undefeated because <laughs> buying a banner yeah exactly <laughs> Best friend is a UCF grad and he he let me hear it for about a year um I love what Gus Malzahn has done sure. and, I love, and he was oh, first of all wrongly fired from Auburn so the fact that he gets this type of revenge tour with a team like this that that I think can really make some noise this year. I'm really excited to see what UCF can do, and I'm all behind them. I I, I love the Golden Knights. There we go. I, I I dig them as well. I'm very curious to see what they look like offensively uh, with the new in, with the influx of talent um, or influx of players. I don't. Mean, I'm going to. They had talent before. The influx of new the the new faces. New so, faces. Yeah. Fresh blood. Yeah. Perfect. So let's go. Boise Boise State <clears throat> had their quote unquote worst season uh, since 1998. What do we think about them? They didn't even they didn't even send they didn't even nominate Hank Bachmeyer as an all-conference quarterback. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean it, it's just so secure. hard. It's so hard when Boise State set a standard for so long, right? And then it comes down to that and they've really on the national stage haven't been talked about for a few years. It's just been it's a crescendo in the wrong direction. Right. Um so I Am I? Do I think that they can be a good team? Yes, I think anybody can come out and, sh- and show up and show themselves. But for me, right now, I'm not really buying the Boise State hype. I gotta, I gotta see it. Yeah, I, I don't think they can get to ten wins because uh, I think you look at the rest of the conference out there, and and, and you know Utah State is a team that's going to be good this year. San Diego State's another one. Well, t- well oh. uh, I didn't want to. I, I keep two. pausing the sidebar. I keep calling these sidebars. Hold on. Listen, just to be fair, just to be fair, I'm calling a timeout. The show did start at 10-11, so I get another set of timeouts after we get to the halfway mark because we're going for an hour. Uh, I do get another set, so I have one more timeout left. But I do want to just say, did you watch Utah State play UConn? Uh, Yes, I did. And and Hey, hey, hey. Is Uh, UConn better? But here's the thing. Maybe, I think maybe, UConn's a better team than we give credit for. I mean, there I think we go. they've that, been that whipping post, right? But, you know, this is a team yeah. that came out and played uh, and, and really had them. But I really do like – I still like Utah State. I mean, I'm going to put it out there. They ended up winning the game, which was most important in a week zero, sure. right? So they're still on the winning side of it. But I think as they get into conference play, as they get more comfortable, yeah. I think this is a team that can really surprise a lot. And, and in the Mountain West, they've done that over the last couple of years, they won the games that we didn't expect them to win. And so that's where I look at, there is progress there. And as we get through this season, I think they're yep. a team that's going to be talked about. I, I dig it. I, I thought UConn, I thought they comported themselves very well. I, I, I did. Uh, they got two running backs there. Mora seems to have them energized. They're playing a little bit more disciplined on defense. I just, that's why I wanted to ask you because yeah. <laughs> We're not going to treat them like we're not going to treat them like a whipping boy. We're going to talk about them like a real football team, and that's the difference between a year, two, three, four years ago, and now. Because it seems like they have a plan, and they're going to try to execute that plan. Okay, so I'm going to have to execute this plan. Okay, which is getting to the week one previous. Okay, let's do it. Let's start with the backyard brawl. Pitt, West Virginia. They haven't played in so long. Yeah, and eleven. Yeah. And as you mentioned, it's the battle of the former USC QBs. That was your toast. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's not just that they're spread out all over the place. It's that they're actually playing each other in a game. So 
What are we expecting from this game where West Virginia brings in Graham Harrell? Um, Pitt, Narduzzi has been very clear that he didn't like the way they played football a year ago. Even though they won the ACC championship, he was like, this isn't how I want to win. You know what I mean? It's like, like yeah. what are we doing? Beggars so, can't be choosers, man. Ma- Max, Max, <laughs> tell, I don't know Mark Whipple, you know, their former OC for leaving. I felt like that was kind of a diss to him. More so than kind of trying to give his new OC a little bit more, more, more pat on the back out of boys than anything else. So, but yeah, no, uh, finish the question. I apologize. Yes. No, 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 no. That's the question. Like, what do we expect out of this football game? Because for me, West Virginia's done so much from the transfer portal standpoint. And then obviously we've got Pitt bringing in a new quarterback, but, and then losing Jordan Addison. What do we, what are we to expect? I like Baldonado, the defensive end for for Pitt, but what else are we supposed to expect from this game? Okay, I'll take it. Uh, You know, (laughs) one of the things uh, with with Pitt, I mean, Pat Narduzzi just has a way of rallying the troops, and it's never going to be a good-looking game, right? Because I had had that Pitt-Tennessee game last year, and, you know, I was like – Okay, well, what am I going to be expecting? You know, you didn't really know what Kenny Pickett was going to be. Obviously, he went on to have that phenomenal season. But, I mean, you had some really good pieces. And I think some guys are going to emerge from this team. I love I love their guard. I think he's one of the best in the country, Marcus Minor. Um, mm-hmm. Guy that I'm like, okay, Pitt, listen, you know, hey, we, we got Kenny. That was our first one. Red Rover, Red Rover, said Marcus Minor on over next year. We're, I, I love him at guard. But I think, but but this is one where the tradition kicks in. Right. You throw everything traditional out of the door as far as what you're expecting. This is this is going to be a fist fight all over again because the the sins of the past and Pitt has not won this game. You know, in the last three times they played it, even though the last one was in 2011. I was going to say, how old were these kids? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So so it's going to be because they're going to hear from their their family. And then you best believe that Akershire Stadium is going to be full. All the West Virginians are coming out of the mountains, out of the woodworks for this. They're bringing couches on flatbed trucks. They're ready to burn some stuff down. And Pitt also knows that they want to avenge this. And Pat Narduzzi, he's looking forward to this. He hadn't even played this game yet, but he's heard the history about it and everybody around him talking about what this game used to be. So I'm really expecting a fist fight. From everything I've heard when I was in Pitt for this last month, everybody was looking forward to this game. Regardless of whatever else, they knew that they had to strap it on extra tight come Saturday and, and I'm going to come tomorrow night and they're going to give us a show. So I'm looking for just a very physical game. I think it's going to be one of those where last possession, I feel like is going to win this ball game. Yeah. I, I want to kind of piggyback off the tradition side of things. You know, I think that specifically in the Northeast in that region, you love to see Pitt, West Virginia, you love to see Pitt, Penn state, you love to see those types of blue collar foundational yeah. programs play each other. So I think it's good for college football, and I think they need to do it more often. Um, Max, of that you made some great points about what to expect from a physicality standpoint, backyard brawl for a reason. Um, but just looking back at the history of it, I mean, 2011 was what 2021. West Virginia won, gave them a chance to. Pos- I think they did have a BCS bowl bid, and they went yeah. on to win the Orange Bowl that year. And then in 2007, Pitt, who was like four and seven at the time came in and spoiled their national championship hopes. Yep. So there's a lot of history with it. Um, I think it's a great way to kick off the season. Uh, new quarterbacks, like you said, Max, highlighting some U.S., some West Coast guys getting introduced to that blue-collar Northeast style of football. I think it's going to be interesting. 
Um, and uh, that that's kind of what I'm looking to see. I'm looking to see how these teams shape up what their identities are coming into the games, especially from the quarterback position. Cause that's, that's kind of my telescope I live in. Um, and those guys are going to have a chance, I think, to, to swing the pendulum one way or the other at the end of the, at the end of the day. So, um, you know, I know I, I, I crushed that's at Bennett last year during the year. I wanted JT Daniels to play. I thought they were going to make a switch during the college football playoff. And, and I gave the kid his roses and the mailman delivered, but I still haven't changed my perspective on JT Daniels. I think he, he does some things very, very well. And I think in an explosive offense with Graham Harrell up there, I think he, uh, he can facilitate and get the job done. So I'm just really excited to kind of see what comes out of it and what these teams are going to be moving forward. And I think it's a great game to kick it off for both their seasons. Well, I, that's what I wanted to ask you, Christian. And I, I had this, I wrote this question down in my, like my own doc. I, how do they replace Letty Brown? Can, can JT Daniels do that? I think he can. I, 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 I think from a talent standpoint, uh, he has it, um, tools, the whole thing. I think obviously USC, he had that run in with the injury, lost his job to an injury. And I think it's just been one of those things where it's like a constant battle from that side. So I, I think he's had the chance to really settle in here now, um, take the pressure off it, kind of go into a smaller market. You know, you go from USC to Georgia, like the markets, right. the pressure, the alumni, like everything like that. I think he's had a chance to get in there. Uh, assimilate to a smaller market and really just focus on himself. So I, I hope for the kid's sake that he does, because I do think he's a special town. I think he can play on Sundays and, and, and play for a while, but um, that's what I'm looking forward to. All right. I, no, I, I, that's, I genuinely wanted to ask you because I think yeah. that I, I knew you were, I knew you were high on him. I wanted to see, can, because Letty Brown did everything for them a season ago right. and how they replaced that's going to be really critical. Um, Okay, let's – you know what? Let's the – two, the two things I wanted to talk to you guys about, Notre Dame, Ohio State, and I want to talk about the Michigan QB battle. Which way do you want to go? Which order do you want to go in? I mean, hey, but, but let's just go in the order that you just, you just teed it up. Yeah, let's let's Notre Dame, Ohio State, you're you're running the show. Yeah. <laughs> it's your world. We're, we're just yeah, living man, it. We're just living in it. Okay, well, let's go – because we, we, we just talked about that game. So let's talk about Notre Dame, Ohio State, the start of the Marcus Freeman era, uh, a coach that it seems like Notre Dame players want to play for, a coach that seems like everyone's excited about, a team that I still don't understand where the explosiveness is going to come from. Come from. I love Michael Mayer. I think he's amazing. I just don't know how they're going to be explosive down the field outside of him. That's the question mark. And obviously you lose some, some pieces at running back. How do they – and the number for this game, I think, is 17-5. What does this game look like? Like, Max, what does this game look like in your eyes? Notre Dame, Ohio State, what does it look like? I mean, it looks like Ohio State's, I think, going to run rough shot. <laughs> I mean, because, here, because like you said, Notre Dame doesn't have those explosive players. They right. are ball-possessing, consistent, run to set up the play-action pass, pass on third and medium to long, like very traditional because yes. your leading guy is Michael Mayer, who I get is an amazing guy. You got, yep. you, you got a couple, you got a couple of great offensive linemen on there. You're a big beefy offensive line. That's been your hallmark. You put them in the league mm -hmm. five stars across the board. They have the best center in college football right now. Who? Uh, well, yeah. The best center in college football and the previous best center is now playing guard for you. Because yeah. that, that guy was so good. He kicked the guy out to guard. <laughs> 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 I 
So, you know, and, and then you still got, you, know, you have Josh Lug and some other guys, a Wexford kid. Um, so, I mean, they're going to be good throughout the season. The problem is you, you, you got the draw of Ohio State. <laughs> and Ohio State, that's a scorned Ohio State team from a year ago. That season opener is still tasting in their mouth from Oregon. So they're a pissed off team. And I think that yeah. that's why you don't want to mess with them. They have a collision course for the college football playoff and Notre Dame, as much as I think they're going to get better as a year starts, there's not enough explosive plays or talent there and proven talent to really get you over there. And I know you got some great guys on defense across on the other side of the ball. They're not going to be able to get to CJ Stroud fast enough. Right. And that, that, that's your problem right there. Hack, you, yeah. you yeah. listen, you played, you played in the horseshoe. Uh, a pissed What's off it? Ohio State isn't fun. <laughs> a pissed <laughs> off Ohio State is not fun. Um, and I think, I think, you know, they've set such a high standard over the, over the past few years. And even with head coaching changes, I thought Ryan, I thought that's one of the greatest testaments to Ryan Day is stepping in there after Urban and like continuing that expectation when you walk in that building. And I have, I have the, the great pleasure of talking with Josh Perry on a, on a pretty regular basis. We Me too. Our, yeah. Yeah. Josh is the man. Um, and he, he talks about that a lot. And I think that's the one that the offense speaks for itself. You know, yeah. I mean, they were seven, eight deep at receiver last year, Jackson Smith and Jigba was their three. Yeah. Alave and Garrett Wilson sit out for the Rose bowl. Dude goes off for 300 plus yards. And, oh, by the way, they have Marvin Harrison jr. And da, 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 you keep going down the list. Right. Plus also so, on the, at the running back spot, Travion Henderson, which is, in, which is insane. Yeah. And I mean, what is, Jim Knowles is there now. So offensively, they're going to be able to do what they need to do, whether it be matchups schematically, they're going to move the football. Um, and I, I think, Notre Dame may be good enough defensively to to slow them down a little bit, but it's not going to be one of those things where um, you're going to slow them down completely. You need to be able on the offensive side of the ball to either possess the football like Michigan did last year and beat the shit out of them up front for four quarters or uh, go match for match. Yeah, yeah, go match for match and go punch for punch, right? Um, You kind of got to pick your poison there. Uh, I'm more excited for Ohio State's defense right now. That team, that side of the ball, uh, a ton of pressure from last year really didn't live up to the standards. I don't think really even had some of the marquee guys that they're used to having those projected top five, top 10 picks in the NFL draft. Um, but they did get a lot of experience. And I know that they're kind of coming in with a new scheme, new defensive coordinator. However, um, when you have the experience, a group that's played together, uh, a lot of depth that's been rotational and guys that are playing even in roles who can come in and get you get you some blows and get you some meaningful snaps. Um, that's the side of the ball I'm most excited to watch. And if they can really get that figured out against the Notre Dame team week one, um, I said it, watch out Big Ten. Um, if that side of the ball gets rolling for them offensively, they're going to be hard to keep up with. And um, I mean, really watch out college football i think that they can make a run deep in the college football playoff yeah i have said this before i think ohio state should win the national championship this year jim knowles to me is the best addition from a coaching staff standpoint and i showed this to bryce petty i'm gonna show it to you hack um so basically what it is is this is what he likes to do right he likes to play cover zero and then he can morph cover zero into cover three, turn it into cover cover one, turn it into cover two. He can do whatever. But he, when you when you come up to the line of scrimmage, 
and you've got 11 players within eight yards of the line of scrimmage, how does that change your thought process? Well, to your point, I mean, if you can, if you can hide the pre-snap picture well, and then it's not like this is what they do off of this, it's one or two things, but you can now go into a multitude of things and the picture changes as a quarterback, you have to be able to process that. And there's not many kids that can do it. And especially in today's game where it's so much throw to green grass, pre-snap, you know, do you have leverage here, kick it out to, to, a, to a bubble screen or slip screen or something like that. It's, it's just not the old school, like trying to get in and out of the best play for the looks and being able to really understand defensive alignment um, and, and, and pre-snap, post-snap confirmations and things of that nature. So uh, there's not many guys that can do it. Uh, there's not many schemes that are being, that are coaching guys to do it. I think there are guys that could do it, but there's, it's not being demanded on them. And when you can do that defensively, it's a, it's a step up. And I think having some veteran guys who can grasp that have played together because it does take some understanding, you know, communication from the secondary to the linebackers. There's a lot of communication going on when you start trying to be confusing. You know, when I was with the Jets, I was with Todd Bowles, really, really confusing yeah, defense. Super complex. Um, a lot of communication and it's your strongest weapon at times, but it's also your Achilles heel. Um, right. if you can't get it done and you don't have some guys driving, the, driving the ship in the right direction. And I think Ohio state has the guys to do that this year. Um, and that's going to present a big challenge. Uh, Max, you tell me as an offensive lineman, I've heard offensive linemen talk about the push pull with the safeties, right? Yeah. And I think every single call, every single person that's played football at, at least the college level, you talk about the push pull with the safeties, right? We all do the same yeah. thing. What does that do for you as a lineman when you look, you, you're going down and you look around and you're like, well, there's 11 of them. Yeah, all within the field of view. And especially playing the left tackle position for me, you know, it was one of the things that I was always looking for safety rotations. I, want, I wanted to get any key to tell me if you're going to have zone or if you have fire zone or this a man situation. So the pre-snap motions when you have, I'm looking for, tra I'm looking for travelers versus guys who are sliding over to give me some type of key about what the blitzing scheme could be or what. Oh, by the way, we're in the back half of the show. I got three more timeouts, just so you know. Okay. Don't worry. Okay. Uh, so I'm going yeah. to burn one. <laughs> but I want to I get both of you guys' thoughts on how we see teams start to – we're seeing teams start to trade motion. Yeah. Instead of travel with motion. We're, are you guys noticing that as well? We're yeah. seeing teams trade motion instead of travel with motion. So they're still playing man-to-man -man coverage. And I, I, I'm trying to do the best way I can to explain it to people who don't understand what I'm talking about. But if you have a guy come from the left side with somebody over top of him and he motions all the way to the right side, we're seeing that guy run all the way up to the post. And then we yeah. see the guy from the post come down to continue that man coverage. How does that make you guys feel as offensive players? I'll let you go first, Christian. The yeah, it matters most to you. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, it does. I think that there's a lot of factors that go into it and it's, you know, film study. If you have a team that does that, you know, there may be some fronts, there may be some linebacker alignments, there may be some leverage pre-snap mm -hmm. from corners. There's usually somebody that kind of gives it away or some type of, sure, some type of structure within the defense that can give it away. Geometric structure for your eyes. When you see it, you're like, oh, that, that, that looks like quarters. That looks like man or whatever it may be. Um, but to your point, if you have the athletes who can, who can give you a lot of those different presentations, and then at the snap of the football, when you got 
a whole bunch of other stuff going through your head, then you have to go, Oh, I got to confirm this. And if you're not looking in the right spot, you're not going to get the confirmation. Um, it's just another layer of sleight of hand and another layer of confusion that these, that these defensive coordinators are starting to, to drum up. And again, I think it just goes back to the caliber of athlete that they have at different positions. I mean, Max, I mean, the defensive linemen nowadays, you got guys, they can line up (laughs) no longer. Do you get like the traditional, like under front, this is what it's going to be. Or the over, like, it's like, you know, you got people all over the place. You got big gaps, you got bubbles all over the place. And you're like, I I don't know what, but they can get back to their gap responsibility so it's it's just getting much more complex for offenses to be able to structure their their game plans around certain things. So this is the ebb and flow of football, right? For for how complicated it was for defenses to catch up to the spread when the spread kind of became the norm in yep. college football, right? And you didn't have enough small guys. Everybody was big. You had he had a 340 pound nose tackle on the field, and they're they're running sprint out zones, and and your fat guys tired after two plays, right? Yeah. And so now you're starting to see more tweener guys who aren't your big bodies, but they're guys who can be versatile. Think Isaiah Simmons, right at Clemson, yes. like the guy can play box, playing the box as a linebacker, play a safety, and then play nickel. And so you're like, well, what am I going to do? And I thought exactly that's what you're talking about when you're talking about rocking that motion from one side to the left instead of traveling you have to have the athletes to uh to accommodate that and even now i mean for for looking at defenses now in the nfl level you're now starting to see more three safety looks instead of having you know two linebackers in the box they're dropping dropping one of their bigger safeties down and it and it's dime presenting itself as nickel so your count gets completely different from that perspective so it's it's the natural progression that they have to catch up and now they have to present that issue for the offenses. And now offense will then now be reactionary and start to create more stuff. Cause that's why you see all the motions. You're trying to get as much of a picture as possible pre-snap right. to see what their tendencies are with those motions. And, you know, Andy Reid's the godfather of this, right? He's going to yes. motion you, you know, to all hell to see, and give you every clear picture you want. And so I, I think it is something that when you have that cover zero look presenting, and then you can still, have a guy athletic enough to drop back to deep third. Um, that's a problem. That, that is a bona fide problem for, for offenses that are trying to get a beat on you. And in that situation, it's like, okay, are our linemen good enough to actually run and block? Because we need to kill this pass play straight to a run play. <laughs> <laughs> Just to give ourselves some breathing room. No, I love that's why I want like listen, my whole goal is to pull more football out of you guys. That's all yeah. I want. I want to pull more football out of you guys. Cause I want folks to learn. And like my whole goal is to build a smarter football fan. That's what we're doing here. And that's why I wanted to ask that kind of, uh, I know it was a little bit of a hard question, but I wanted to get into it. Um, another hard question. And I'm going to start with you, Christian, um, Michigan quarterback. They decided that Cade McNamara is Cade, Cade Mac, good grief. Cade McNamara is going to start game one. JJ McCarthy is going to start game two. They'll make a decision for game three. If you're the quarterback in that spot, how does that make you feel? I think that this is such a unique situation. I think there's a lot of layers to this onion. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I don't think you'd see this four years ago before the transfer portal. I don't think this is even a thing. You got a guy guy who just literally led your team to a college football playoff berth. All he does is win. I've said it multiple times. He doesn't do it in a sexy fashion. He's not flashy. 
but he operates and he gets the job done in Cade McNamara. And to me, I, I can't think of the last time a guy who went out and took his team that deep, won a big 10 championship, played in a college football playoff berth was fighting for his life the next year. Um, so it, I, it's hard to put myself in that situation because I've never really been in that situation. And sure. I don't think really anyone has, I think this is a one-off and a very unique thing. Um, I think Jim Harbaugh's approach is really tough because I think he's got one angel on his shoulder saying, we got to keep this young kid who's super, super talented and is mm -hmm. probably ready to play. And then on the other hand, he's saying, but I got a kid who just, like I said, won a big 10 championship for me and does everything right. And is a foundational piece in my locker room and, you know, hasn't done anything to play his way out of the role. So it's, it's, it's tough. Um, and I think it's going to be something somewhat of a blueprint possibly moving forward with everything that's going on. You know, they tried to bleed McCarthy in and, and shuffle him in last year. And I think that he got some reps, but still, you know, to me, you still have to go with a guy and to start the season without a guy, I think is a little bit of a risky decision um, just for the total momentum of the season and the flow of the season and, and the certainty of that side of the football. Max. So my, the, the way that I look at this, um, you know, I think even, even more so than four years, I think if you don't have the Quinn Ewer situation happen, Right. I think you don't think about this. Um, I think in the era of NIL transfer portal, you can pull a guy immediately and they can make that one time transfer. No harm, no foul. It messes you up because I remember my time in college, University of Florida, we had the funding gun. Right. Steve Spurry. We had a two quarterback system. Jesse Palmer, Rex Grossman. Right. Yeah. And, and, but that was based off of merit and series. Wait, do you know Nick Shirelli? Huh? You know Nick Shirelli? Yeah. Oh, my God. Nick Shirelli was the GA at UNC when I was there. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, Nick, Nick, Nick's awesome, man. I, I love Nick, man. I helped but, him move. Huh? We had to help him move. Oh, <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> that's funny. But, yeah, so, so I look at that one. That's my only two-quarterback system, right, that mm -hmm. I've seen. And that was more so out of necessity for game flow during a game. Right. To actually predetermine your starters two weeks in advance, that's where that's where it's a different world. And you say, if Quinn Ewers doesn't just leave Ohio State because he feels he's he's not going to play this year. Uh -huh. And you feel like if you start Kate, even though the resume is there, that you could still lose McCarthy in that same instance, this doesn't happen. And so it it, it is interesting because I wonder. You know, my worry is like kids in now in college, they don't have that stick to itness, right? They don't have that toughness to kind of persevere and really put themselves through stress to get better, right? To take a failure and take the lesson in the failure or the setback, however you want to word it. There's sure. there's just cut and run. And that's where I'm like, this could ultimately bite you in the butt because you don't have that consistency, but at the same time. If you're Jim Harbaugh and you've had all those hard luck years, and you're trying to capitalize on on the one year that you've gotten some honey. <laughs> I get why you why you have to try and keep it because everybody's talked about you not being quarterback whisperer. You know, you had this right. NFL legacy, but your college legacy is not there, and now you're trying to toe the line so you can create future success. Oh, so here's the thing for me. 
I don't love it. I think you guys are absolutely correct that the transfer portal has created this other, this sort of other element to it all. And obviously Quinn Ewers is he's, that's an amplification of what we're talking about with respect to the transfer portal. I'm looking at the implementation more than anything. JJ McCarthy cannot play in that first game period. He yeah. cannot play. He cannot be in that game. No, not, a, not as a package player. You're tipping not your as hand. A, not as not, not even tipping your hand, not as a, he can't be in there as a package player. He can't be in there as a garbage time player. He has to sit out that entire game. And Cade McNamara has to sit out the entire second game. The third string guy is the guy you need to bring in. When If it's a blowout, you bring that guy in. And I also think, and this is the question, let me ask you this, Max. What does the play calling look like in both of these games? Because we know that McNamara is a higher ceiling player, correct? Yes. And so is this going to be a game where Cade throws – 17 passes and he's 12 for 17 and they're like we won by 35 and then the next game jj mccarthy runs runs five times or runs eight times and then also throws you know 20 passes and how do you compare those results how does that compare that's the problem it's the exact problem because you have one guy who can execute the entire offense you have another guy that's still learning it. So, I mean, honestly, you'd want it flipped because you would want to be as vanilla as possible in that first game to, to, to allow him to kind of learn and work within his space so you don't have to. Oh, you know what? I got another okay. one. That's two. <laughs> that's two. I, I got one. I got one. Left. I only have one left. Yeah. I got it. This is a, but this is a real question. And I know we got it. We got to get out of here in a little bit, but here's a real question. We're going to listen. A&M. Haynes Kings is starter, fine. Max Johnson, whatever. We're going to get to the games to watch after this. But here's what I got. Do you prefer the two of you, just as football from a strategy standpoint, do you like vanilla early? Or do you like throw the kitchen sink out early and make teams wake practice, make teams waste practice time on plays you're never going to run? Ooh. You got something, Max? I got something off the top of my head. <laughs> Come yeah. on. I mean, I, I got I, it. Too. Yeah, go ahead. You first. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm a guy who, no matter what, I think from an offensive standpoint and your team, what you have from a skill set, you have to have some type of backbone. And if that's vanilla, but something that you know your team, you roll it out, doesn't matter what the defense is lining up in, doesn't matter mm -hmm. what, what funky looks they're going to give you, that these guys can execute this package or this amount of plays. Right to an extremely high level because at mm -hmm. the end of the day, there's going to be times throughout the year where you have to fall back on it. Some, you know, a team makes a great halftime adjustment. You got to fall back to that first. And then you got to buy yourself two series as an offensive staff to figure out what they're doing. And then you can start getting into some adjustments, right? That's a beautiful but answer, dude. I really think that you need to have a backbone. And I, I mean, it goes to identity. Like I'm, I'm coaching high school football. Like, yeah, you have to have an identity. That's one of my biggest problems with Penn state is I thought last year they were way too damn gimmicky. They yeah. won games in gimmicky fashions, but they didn't have a backbone to fall on. And you need to have that, whatever that may be, whatever flavor it is. So for me, vanilla is really, really good. And you better be a master at vanilla. Anything else is window dressing for what you're getting in terms right. of the next team 
what they like to do. You may have a couple shots schemed up because of some things that they do or lack of lack of discipline they have or targeting a certain player. But realistically, like you got to have your vanilla package that's your that's your bread and butter, in my opinion. And so to piggyback off of that, my daughter's favorite breakfast item in the morning, that's what I want. It's bread and butter. I mean, give me that play that I can run, like you said, against any any defensive front. I don't care what you do. I don't care if you go 12 large and you just throw this exotic. But if my guys can go out there and run it and they can run almost to Mike Leach type of nauseum, right? You were, he's like, we got seven plays in our book and that is it. We're not adding any, we're not taking any away. We got seven plays in the entire playbook and we're going to execute them at a higher level. I'm that type of guy as well. As an offensive mm-hmm. lineman, we had at, at Pittsburgh, especially, we had four run plays that we knew inside and out, no matter what defensive front you threw at us, we could run it. And we would also, when we needed four minute offense, we would call the same exact play four times in a row and dare somebody to stop you. That's what, that's what I like that. I think if you do have some schemes you want to throw in there, one-offs that kind of look funny for you, fine. I get it. Offensive staffs have to do that because they want to keep the anonymity. But for me, Give me bread and butter all day and let me just hammer out those plays and make sure that we can execute those against everybody we play at any given situation. When things hit the fan, we know that we have something that we can fall back on. That's our foundation. I dig it. No, I, this is, this is always good insight. I love to talk about, I love to talk about this stuff with football players because I have, I've grown an appreciation for someone like Wayne Kiffin who runs plays that I know he's never going to run. And we never see those plays again. Yeah, but yeah, the amount he knows of the team's going to spend time on it. They're going to spend time on it, and I I think that I find the beauty in the game in that part of it because he's especially when it's a listen when it was USC playing Hawaii they know they're going to win they've already got the game in the bag let's show a bunch of stuff that we don't have to worry about but they have to worry about and they got to think about all the time and it's just that's why I want to ask these questions because. It, it matters. It's the same as like showing it some kind of crazy exotic blitz. And then you, you're not doing that. Nobody, what you, no. Your safety's not coming down from 12 yards, baby. It's not going to happen. And Matt, you know how, how, how many times, how many times when you were sitting there getting ready, preparing for preparing for a team. And it was like that one blitz that everyone talked about. And everyone talks about how like, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady, they, saw this blitz one time throughout the year and they got the right check into it. Like, yeah, that's great. They've been playing forever. And of course they're going to figure out something for that. But at the end of the day, like I know as a player, I wasn't going to waste my, if you got me one play, great, but I'm not going to let it, I'm not going to magnify the mistake and we're going to move on. And I know you, you don't major in that. So let's, let's go, let's go play ball now. Good versus good. What we got. You're not worried about the safety blitz from Michigan state. You're worried about the double a fire. <laughs> yes, exactly. So I played Baltimore a whole, you know, a whole lot, obviously being in Pittsburgh. Yeah. They came up, especially in the Rex Ryan, like craziness and Rob Ryan. I mean, the stuff that you would see from the jets and the Ravens where they would literally have three up the middle yeah. in one a gap. It was like, are, are you kidding me? And, and we would hammer this blitz out the entire week. And then we get to the game. Zero times was it right. We're like, so, so we just spent all these hours. I watched all this tape and they don't even run. It's like, no, that's what, but that's what I'm talking about. They yeah. made you waste all this time. 
They did. They did. And, and it was one of the most annoying things. And Rex and Rob, they knew. They knew that they were that they were going to get you with that. And and even if we talked about it and said, hey, we don't even care about it, the coaches cared about it. Like it gave yeah. them ulcers, I, I swear. It's like one coach probably had 17 cups of coffee to this one blitz. So <laughs> it's, it's just, yeah, but that, there's teams like that, right? There's teams that want to play the game within the game, the psychological warfare. Yeah. And there's other ones like Mike Leach in this world. I'm running what I'm running. I need you to stop it because we're gonna we're gonna get that ball out in two and a half seconds. And I dare I dare you to commit a blitz to it because you're you're gonna be shorthanded on the back end. Bingo. I'm I'm very excited to see what all this looks like. Guys, um, we talked about Michigan. Haynes King named the starter at Texas AM. I'm I'm ready to get the games to watch. Um, Thursday night's games. Let's start on let's focus on Thursday night. Penn State, Purdue, Hackenberg. What you got you mean, for me? Not- you mean you're not excited about St. Francis at Akron? No, 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 some things that he obviously could do better. I think that there's some things that the team and the schemes can obviously do better for him. He's had a lot of turnover uh, from a, from a offensive philosophy standpoint. Um, But I think that really this game is going to be a really good game for Penn state and both Purdue. I think it's a great opportunity for both teams because I'm also a huge fan of Aiden O'Connell. I think the kid can flat out play. He's good. Delivers the football accurately on time is extremely athletic in the pocket without being a freaky athlete moves his spot six seven inches to make throws he does a lot of really good things that i think translate to the next level um but you know i think there's two teams a lot of momentum uh well momentum from purdue side penn state who you know kind of got kicked in the teeth against arkansas um you know had a really disappointing year after cliff got hurt uh at iowa so it's just you know i think it's a good definition game for the for the path forward for both of these teams in the big 10 um and penn state you know i've hammered this over and over again but i just i really want to see them create an identity offensively and i'd love to see them support clifford with a run game yeah Um, i think nick singleton's obviously going to help special kid but he's young and you got to grow with these young guys as well and put them in situations to be successful. So, you know, it's about time that that offensive line starts turning around. And when you walk down that hall at Penn state and look at all those all Americans, a lot of them are on the front seven <laughs> on or in the front, in the trenches on both sides yeah. of the ball. So I, I want to see them get back to having some consistency and a little bit of an attitude um, up front this year and, and, and take some pressure off cliff. So that's what I'm going to be looking to see. I'm looking forward to it too. Max, you got anything for Thursday or Friday games? Well, I, I mean, when I look at it, I mean, I think I think that's going to be a good matchup. I mean, I love the fact that the Big Twin, the, the Big Ten comes out and you guys actually play conference play, you know, right. in one, because you also have that Indiana game um, against Illinois. Um, so, I mean, I, I, I'm excited to see just kind of where they are. I mean, but my game, I probably, if I have to pick one, if you're asking me to pick one, just fine. I'm interested to see TCU Colorado. I'm gonna be honest. Uh, okay. Colorado is one of those teams that you know you look at from a year ago and it didn't go as great, but they're trending in the right direction. They're a team that's tough. They play really good defense, and um, you know they 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 tend to struggle with teams that could be a little bit more um, 
more aerial inclined. I think this TCU team kind of plays more into that traditional. They, they've got a lot of good run, running backs back there and, and a run game that's going to be fun to watch um, coming this upcoming year. So I just like that you get that preview kind of before we get into the Saturday Titans round of games. And then, of course, on Sunday. So I, I want to see these these quote unquote appetizers that that fill you up like a meal. And I think that's one of those games. I dig it. And for me, before we get out of here, I'm going to say, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to double dip. I'm not going to like on Friday. I'm very excited to see what it, the Illinois, Indiana, what that looks like, because I love Tommy DeVito have been a big fan since he was, listen, he's Mr. New Jersey, baby. Let's go. He's got, he rocks the chain when he's out there on the field. Come on. Um, but I also want to see Tennessee and ball state. And it's not because of ball state, maybe upsetting them. It's more because Tennessee is a team that I think has an opportunity to be a real problem in that SEC East. And they play a brand of football from a tempo standpoint that I think, and, and hack, you mentioned identity, right? They know who they are. We go fast and we always go fast. It doesn't wow. matter. We always go fast. <laughs> yes, there we go. And so um, I, that's what I'm looking forward to seeing is Hendon Hooker and who emerges as wide receivers for them. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, you guys got any last thoughts you want to wrap in before we wrap this up? I'm going to throw this out there as well. Another game, uh, and Max, we talked about this before we came on air. I, I'm excited to see this LSU-Florida State game. Um, oh, yeah. I think that – I think on, on – I think it's Sunday. Um, so, yes. I think that that's – I think that's going to be a uh, – I think that's going to be a fun game to watch. And I agree with you. I'm calling that game Sunday night. In, okay. In in Nolens. Uh, the Brian Kelly debut uh, for uh, I'm not even going to try and present that I can even intimidate I can I can imitate that horrible accent that he pulled out there at the women's <laughs> basketball game but uh, I think you know you look at that that unveiling and then also Mike Norvell really being on the hot seat for Florida State and them really need to re regain some ground that they've lost in the ACC that's one I mean obviously Oregon having Dan Lannon come back to play yeah. his former team as the national champs and see what that Georgia team's going to look like this year, I think is another big tale because they're not as deep defensively. Kirby's already trying to temper people's emotions with that. And right now, you know, Stetson Bennett has four tight ends he can throw to. I don't know about the wide receivers just yet. <laughs> I don't trust them yet. So it's going to be interesting to see what that brand of football is. So those are definitely on my radar, especially since I'm calling one of those games. No, I dig it. Um, you know what, Max, can you give me 30 seconds on Florida and uh, Utah? Yes, I can. Uh, you know, I went down, spoke with uh, spoke to the Florida team. So Billy Napier, I mean, the culture is already there. The buy-in's there. What is Anthony Richardson? Is he an actual full-time every game quarterback, or is he just the flash in the pan gimmick guy that we saw last? Last time, time. I'm gonna use my last time out. <laughs> yeah, Christian Hackenberg, you're an elite, you're an elite eleven guy, right? Yes. So you've heard Trent Dilfer say you, you've heard Trent Dilfer say this thing. We want butchers. Excuse me. We want surgeons, not butchers, right? Yep. What's it going to take to turn Anthony Richardson into a surgeon, not a butcher? Well, I think a game plan. I think you got to play into his strengths. Um, and, you know, I, I, the phrase I use over and over again is don't stuff a square peg into a round hole, right? And, and whatever Anthony Richardson does well to move the football because he has a skill set to move the football offensively from that position. It's just how do you marry them all together and create opportunities that are clean for him, that he's confident in making decisions. Right. There we go. All yeah. right, Max. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I listen, I had yeah. to use my last, I listen, 
timeouts aren't worth anything if you keep them if you keep them in your pocket. You can't carry them to the you can't carry them to the second half or to the next game. I get it. Trust <laughs> me. I'm all about timeouts. Trust trust me. Anytime I get a break, I'm happy. So, <laughs> but um, but yeah. So so you want to know what is this offense going to look like, right? With Anthony Richardson at the helm, he's the unequivocal starter in that sure. situation. There's nobody that's going to pressure him. Does he get complacent or does he continue to grow as a surgeon? The other thing is you're getting the reigning Pac-12 champion coming to your place. And Kyle Winningham in Utah, when we're talking about a team that's a dark horse team for the CFP, this is my lock-in pick. It's the Utah Utes. I know you don't have Devin Lloyd running roughshod, but you got a guy by the name of Cam Rising, and that kid can throw the football. And they're going to also play a very physical SEC-esque style of play Mm -hmm. that, that Florida's used to seeing. So the question is, are you going to get punched in the mouth and back into the corner, or are you going to charge the middle of the ring and try and control it? I love – you know what? That's a perfect note to end the show on. For Christian Hackenberg, for Max Starks, I'm Michael Felder. This has been Field of 12 After Dark. Peace out. <laughs>